Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and we read from verse 1 to 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. Amen. Praise God. I'll slow down a little bit to allow everyone catch up. Ephesians 2. So I'll read from the New King James. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now walks in the sons of disobedience. Amen. I'll take it again. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according, according to the prince of the power of the air, who now walks in the sons of, of disobedience. Verse 3 reads, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So I'm not sure I'll be able to cover verse 3 today about because I want to do a good job with verse 1 and verse 2. Amen. Right, so let's take it kind of line by line, precept upon precept. precept. Say, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, chapter 2 of Ephesians is a continuation of chapter 1. So if we go to Ephesians 1 and we read from verse 19, it reads, second, I want to, let me, I want to zoom into my digital Bible. Yeah. So verse 8, 19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? which he walked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be heard over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And verse 1 of chapter 2, which is a continuation, reads, And, and you he made alive, alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So don't forget that these letters, these, this particular letter and all, and all of the epistles, the letters written to the church, were not divided into chapters. We're not written in chapters and verses, right? It was people who divided into chapters and verses for easy reference. And that's why it's, it's sad to hear some people read a verse, isolated verse, right, of a chapter of a Bible, and disconnected from the whole context of that epistle. It does not make sense. I believe that many of us are English students, or we speak English, we will go to school, we've read books, 
you know, so if someone isn't there, if they are thinking correctly and they are applying the discipline they've taught them in school or even in life, you should know that when you are reading a letter, you are reading a message. You read the full message, you read it in context. You don't take one few words or a phrase and disconnect it from the entire letter. Amen. More application about that may come on along the line when as I'm speaking. But I just felt like touching on that, that you don't separate or isolate a verse from the entire context. And this applies to an, an instance. An instance is this, is when people say things like, in, according to First Corinthians 13, that the tongue, that tongues as, uh, because Apostle Paul says, uh, tongue will cease when the perfect has come. So to some eight people, because they don't understand, the, they don't understand, what it means to pray in other tongues. They don't understand the baptism in the Holy Ghost. So they interpret it as tongue has ceased because we have the Bible. They believe that the Bible is a perfect thing, you know, because Jesus came at some point. People have now silly on the silly excuse and reason or way to interpret verse 13 of 1 Corinthians. And they do this in on purpose because they don't understand. What in, how to receive baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking with tongues. And the reason why I'm calling this out is because such people, they completely disregard chapter 14, where Paul says, I pray, I speak in tongues. Say, and I will pray in tongues and I'll pray in understanding. It just doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's sad that many Christians today are confused in their work with God because they don't know how to read the Bible in context, read the message. Praise the Lord. So let's carry on. Chapter 2, verse 1. Say, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Right. So let's take it precept upon precept, like I said earlier on. So what, what does it mean to make alive? Say, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So it means that we were dead previously in trespasses and sins. And when we look at the word trespasses, right? The Greek word for trespass is a paraptoma, and it's translated blunder. And blunder there kind of signifies or indicates unknown sin. Because Apostle Paul will not use two words together. Some people could interpret, uh, could translate trespasses as sins, but Paul is saying here, we were dead in trespasses and sins. So trespass is an unknown sin, according to this Greek word used here, right? So, and then sin definitely is, uh, the Greek word for that is amatia, which is translated known sin. So Paul was saying that human, all of us, now focusing on believers, because this, this letter was written to the church. Amen. This letter was written to believers. Amen. Many things that Paul said about things like don't commit sexual immorality and things like that was written to the church. The epistles were not written to the world. So when people use the epistles and go to unbelievers and try to beat them over with the word of God, they are doing the wrong thing. And I'm going to jump ahead of myself a little bit here to put this in context. Because an unsaved person does not have the nature of God in them. So it is their nature to sin. That's why they are called a sinner. An unbeliever sins because it's their nature to sin. So when you try to tell the unbeliever to leave 
by the cap- to, to live by the capacity of God or by the nature of God, you are confusing them because they don't have the innate ability to do that. They carry the nature of sin, the nature of Satan. And how did they carry, or how do they carry the nature of sin and of Satan? Is by what happened there. The Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sin. Trespasses unknown sin, which we see in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that dead, let's go there. Romans 12, 2. Romans. Romans, Romans 12, verse 2. The Bible says, did I say Romans 12, 2? Romans 5, I mean, pardon me. Romans, actually, it should be Romans 5, 12. Romans 5 and verse 12. I'll come back to Romans 12, 2 at some point. But Romans 5, 12 said, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and doth and thus death spread to all men because all sinned i repeat therefore just as through one man sin entered the world if you look at it you if you look at it uh apostle paul is describing sin as an entity now it didn't say that therefore you committed sin and you are dead. It says, through one man, and that is Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men, all people, because all sinned. All was infected by sin. Because Adam, who was a representation of mankind, of human beings, of the, of the human race, sinned and death spread to all people. Death came into the world, spiritual death, not physical death. Now, theology tells, teaches me that, you know, man was not, de- human beings were not designed to die, right? We were, we were designed to live forever. But because of sin coming into the world or entering the world, right, it affected, it corrupted our soul, and, and eventually affected our human body. So human people began to die after the sin of Adam. And when we talk about how sin affected our soul, it eroded the nature of God, the nature of love in our heart. And that's what Romans 5.5 5 says, the love of God has been poured out in our heart by the Holy Ghost who has been given to us. And you can interpret that as the love of God has been poured out in your spirit. You now carry the nature of God, the spirit of love. The Bible says God is love. So since the fall of man, human beings have began, began to live for themselves, live by themselves, live for what they want to get, live on their own. Amen. So the Bible, going back here, the Bible says that so we're, we're dead in trespasses and sins. Amen. Uh, let me let me. Uh, let me um, I have, sorry, guys. I have so many things opening up here. Right. So we're dead in trespasses and sins. Verse two says, "In which we once walked according to the curse of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now walks in the sons of disobedience." So I touch a little bit about on that trespasses and sins. So tr- trespass is a non-sin. Uh, sin is a sin we commit on purpose. Right. So, and I was talking about death, that death means separation from God. So Paul said we were dead. 
in our trespasses and sin. That death is spiritual death. That death was an eternal separation from God and it's a spiritual thing. Amen. Now, so spiritual death or death started in the spirit, not in our soul, not our action. So the order of death is this. Mankind sinned and the person of Adam, right? And man was spiritually separated from God. His soul was corroded and eventually sickness and disease entered his body. Likewise, if man will be saved, if human being will be saved, it will follow the same order. Which means the spirit, first of all, needs to be saved, restored to a union with God. And then by Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when the person begins to renew their mind, begins to align their thoughts, you know, we spend a lot of time on when we're talking about chapter 1, begin to develop a mental disposition about their new nature in Christ Jesus, it changes how they feel, how they see things, and ultimately, it will affect their health. Many of the physical health we have, to, physical health issues we have today, to a very much extent, are linked to the condition of people's soul and their spirit. So, for the unbeliever, they are not born again, right? So they don't have the nature of God. Some of them actually have been able to, by moral thinking and training, think right and still kind of live a healthy life. But that does not make them better than the uh, than believers. Right, but many believers, unfortunately, they don't they, they don't meditate on who they are in Christ Jesus. They don't even know they are a new species, a new being. The Bible says, "If any man be in Christ, a new creature, all things are passed away, and all things become new." Many believers don't even know what it means to be born again. That they don't even realize, they don't even understand that they are born again. They are a new birth person. They are a new species. Uh, Ephesians, no, is it? Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus unto good works. The believer, the Christian, I mean, believer, believing Christian, believer, believer, because many people call themselves Christian today and they don't believe in Jesus. They've not surrendered their life to Jesus. They have not received a new life in Christ Jesus. So, uh, and what I'm trying to, call, to, to clarify here is this. Uh, a person who say they are a Christian does not necessarily mean they are a believer. So when you go to church on Sunday and people claim to be a Christian, it does not mean they are born again, they are children of God. And I, I encourage my, I discourage my church family members not to be dis, uh, from, like I discourage them from being distracted by all manner of junk on the media. You know, things like, uh, okay, content like that shows things that Christians are doing. They say Christians are doing, the Christians are doing that. Many people who claim to be Christians are not believers. They are not children of God. They are believe they are Christians by association because they were born to a Christian family. And many of whom, from my interaction with them, their parents were not even saved. You meet a person, you ask them, "Are you a Christian?" They'll say, "I'm Catholic." So tell me about your Christian experience. Tell me, tell me about your work with God. Well, I'm not religious. <laughs> I'm not religious. Well, uh, my mom goes to church, so we went to church. But if they were given a form to complete and were asked to select a religion, what would they say? Christian. So majority of the people we know in the world today who claim to be Christians are not. I'll say many, not majority. But I'll say majority because when the more I, more I talk to people, the more I understand that many people, even who come to church every Sunday, do not know what it means to be saved. 
Amen. So talking about the order of restoration, the order of healing, the order of, re of being reunited with God, the order in which it happened that we, human beings died spiritually, eternally separated from God, they, I know, and then they are so corrupted, that same order is what, will be, is, what is followed for human beings to be saved. Now, as many pastors that I know of who do not understand this, right, which, which we should question if they are born again as well, and I'm not digging, having a dig at anyone, I'm just actually calling out something very serious. Many pastors that I know who are preaching that if you don't do this and this and this and that, you will go to hell. Many of such pastors, not with any due respect, I don't believe they are saved. I don't believe they know the gospel, though some of them are saved. But just that they are not sound. They are not mature. They do not understand what it means to be saved. Amen. Have I correct, have clarified things? I'm not saying all of them are not saved because I know a few of them. They are actually saved, but just that they do not understand the gospel. If the action of a person, according to what we read in Romans 5, verse 12, if the action of a person did not bring about the spiritual death in their life, then the action of a person cannot remove spiritual death, cannot reunite them to the Father. And many people are focused on their own actions, hoping and aiming that their actions will reunite them, with, will reunite them to the Father. And it can never happen. Hence, the blood of Jesus was shed in vain. Amen. So your action, if your action did not separate you from God, your action cannot reunite you with God. And if your action did not save you, if what saved you was faith in Jesus, right? If what saved you was faith in Jesus, then your actions cannot maintain that salvation. It's unfortunate that many people, after they get saved or after they got saved, then they want to live their Christian life by their actions, on the merit of their actions. It does not make any sense. Instead of by faith in Christ Jesus, and I, I think I saw a few things on online about the Ten Commandments and things like that. If you look at life of the life of Joseph, when Joseph when Joseph was being tempted by Potiphar's wife, Joseph said, "How could I, you know by Potiphar's wife?" Joseph said, "How could I do this wicked thing against God? This great wickedness against God?" Do you know that in in Genesis, I think thirty seven, thirty eight, about. Do you know that the Ten Commandments had not been given at that time? The Ten Commandments of thou shalt not commit adultery had not been given, but Joseph knew that adultery or sleeping with, with one's boss's wife was wickedness against God. Amen. In it was wickedness against God. He didn't have the Ten Commandments. Praise the Lord. Let me carry on from here. I'm, I'm, I'm watching my time. So, our actions can never save us. Our actions cannot save us. So, if you're watching me and you're not born again, your actions cannot save you. And, uh, yes, let's carry on. Amen. So, uh, just to give us a few references. Um, if we go to about the spiritual death, let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Genesis 3. Six. 
I'm going to read to verse 12 speedily. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate it. You know what I'm thinking? I was thinking, should I read the entire chapter? Let's, let me read Let me read from verse 1. I'll skip a few verses. I just want to put this in context properly. Now I said, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to, to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, not nor shall you touch it lest you die. That's what I'm trying to call out. Lest you die. Does God lie? Can God lie? No. Right. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the so I don't know what what, what death meant in the mind of Eve. But in the, remember that Eve said, we should not even touch it. So before Eve actually ate the fruit, when she touched and she didn't die, she could have that could have encouraged her to take it one step further by plucking and eating. Unknown to her that the death God was talking about was not physical death, cessation of life from living on the planet Earth or in a human body. It was spiritual. Now, I asked the question earlier on, does God like and God like? We said, no. Now, so Satan said his own beat. Verse 6, so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it. And ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And the seed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Now, God said the day they eat of that fruit, they will die. They ate of the fruit. They did not die physically because they, they were able to make uh, use fig leaves, sow fig leaves together and made themselves covering. So the death God was referring to there was not physical death. It was spiritual death. It was, cessation. It was eternal separation from God. So what Jesus came to give us is, is eternal life. Eternal reunion with the Father. Now, that is why Christianity is not about making money. Christianity is not about getting business ideas. Christianity is not about building business empires. Christianity is not about fame. Christianity is not about going to church. Christianity, and I mean it, Christianity is not about going to church to, as a tick box exercise or so that you can identify with a group of people. That, this is not the crux of Christianity. This is not the basis of Christianity. Christianity is receiving the eternal life, receiving the life of God back to, into your spirit so that you can be reunited with the Father. Anything outside of this, if anything you do in, the Christ, in, in Christianity does not have this as the foundation, you are not a Christian. 
and I'm very, very serious about this. And I'm, I feel in my heart that God is prompting me to call this out because of a lot of nonsense and rubbish going on in the world today. Someone speaking to me a few weeks, uh, some time ago, was telling me about what their church has become. It's about tight offering. It's about it's, it's not become a showmanship. And and I and I know that we, we we all pastors are being challenged right now to make our sermon our messages relevant for the younger generation, the Gen Zs and the young millennials to be to to find the gospel relatable. But that does not mean that we take out the gospel and give them some kind of nonsense. That does not mean we lead people in the path of destruction and hell thinking they are saved but they are not because we are not telling them or teaching them or preaching the gospel that brings salvation to all men. Amen. So, the death was spiritual. This, that's what I'm trying to call out there. And the Bible says, verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, I talked about spiritual death starting first in the spirit, right? This death in the spirit and then affected the soul and then the body. Now, let me take a few one. If you want, let's go to Genesis chapter. Okay, I'll take more verses in chapter three just to show you what, what death looks like so that when we find these things in our life, we know the sources of these things and we claim our position in Christ Jesus to beat these things. Let's go there. Now, uh, the Lord God said to verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife eat themselves from the presence of the Lord, Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? See, this is why I like Bible study. Now, the first thing that happened to humanity, to mankind after the fall, was condemnation. And you find that in um, Romans chapter 5. Condemnation and fear. Sense of unworthiness of God. So as many people today who are trying to earn worthiness, earn acceptance with God, they are still suffering under the consequence of spiritual death. Now that you are born again, you are supposed to focus on understanding your position in Christ. And when your emotions, which is a part of your soul, when your emotions make you feel like you are unworthy of God, you you, you speak out loud. You declare your new position in Christ Jesus because it is now your responsibility and my responsibility to reprogram our soul, to renew our mind, to make our soul you know, align with our new identity in Christ Jesus. Our soul will not be saved on its own by itself, in and of itself, no. Our soul, our emotions, our will, our mind we not think right, think good thoughts on its own. We have to intentionally think the right thoughts, think the thought, think the thoughts about our new identity in Christ Jesus. Focus on who we are in Christ Jesus. You know, talk it, leave it, think it, 
shared with people. Engage in conversations that establishes our identity in Christ, not conversations telling us about, about hell, which are not correct. It's not right that, that the focus of a believer and the goal of a believer is to make heaven. It is not right. Because to make heaven in a sense is to be, is to spend eternity with God. And the Bible says, John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus himself said, For God so loved the world that he, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life starts right here on earth. When a person gives their life to Christ, they start living with God. They are they're engrafted into the family of God right from here on earth. So for, for a believer to pray and hope they make heaven or are praying and thinking that they make heaven is to be thinking in the wrong direction. Your, fo your focus on earth should be identifying your identity in Christ Jesus, you know, discovering and becoming who God has created you to be so that you can do the good works which he had prepared in advance for you to do. Bear this in mind, what you focus on the most, what you think on the most becomes the, you know, I mean, gets bigger in your mind. It's amplified. You got to be mindful of what you're thinking about. I don't, as many Christians I've met, well, Africans, I don't think many of them are thinking in the right direction because they are so, they're so afraid of death. They're so afraid of heaven. They're so, you know, their life is run and ruled by fear and anxiety, which is not God's plan and purpose for their life. The, the believer should not be hoping to make heaven. So, because when you are very sin conscious, which is one of the reasons why I talked about the fact that, you know, you got to get your mind focused on the right thing. When your mind is submerged in thought about sin, not sinning, you will not be focused on developing the capacity, the abilities in, on the inside of you to do what God has called you to do. Sin will run your life. Sin will rule you because that's your focus. You are looking at how to dodge sin. But I can guarantee you one thing that works. If you focus on becoming who God has called you to be and you focus your energy claiming and confessing you are who God says you are in Christ Jesus, sin will make no sense to you. Sin is for, it, it's, it's for it's babies. It's people who just, come, who just came into Christ Jesus who, do not, who, who have not been able to train their senses to differentiate between right and wrong that can still be doubling and thinking whether sin or no sin. But for you who has been born again for at least six months or one year, right? Discovering your identity in Christ Jesus, your position in Christ Jesus, and becoming who God created you to be should be your focus. You should be focusing on what you should be doing, the doing the doing, not focusing on what you should not do. And you can test this. I can tell you it works. I've lived this life for over, I've done this for over seven years. 10 years now, more than 10 years now. And I tell you, this is what works. I used, to be, I used to be part of a church where it's about sin. We have months of sanctification, months of holiness, and everything the man of God preaches for that month is against sin and against sin. And people are afraid of punishment of sin for that month. And the following month, people realize that they are back into sin and even worse in that condition because you can't keep focusing, driving people's attention or focusing their attention on what they should not do and expect them to grow in the area you are not directing your focus to. It does not work that way. So, condemnation came into the world after Adam sinned, right? 
and they were afraid of God. So if you see fear in your heart and sense of unworthiness, these are death. These are offshoot, the byproduct of spiritual death that came into the life of humanity. Human beings, believers should not be afraid of God. God is your father. He said, I'll walk with you, I'll be your God. Even St. Corinthians, Paul said, do you not know that Jesus Christ lives in you? Philippians, we say things like, uh, is it Colossians? Says, so, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ lives in you. God lives in you in the person of Jesus Christ, in the person of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. Somebody needs to get this right today, meditate on this, and begin to live a life different from the, how they've been living their life. You are no longer, you are not supposed to live as a slave, but as a child of God. So a believer should be confident. So, and I'm not talking about sin. A believer should be confident and to live their life in confidence. Amen. If you have been struggling with sin, we should check what you have, what you have been focusing on. Because if you have been focusing on sin, that is what becomes the order of the day for you. And that is what becomes reality for you. Amen. Let's move fast a little bit. My time is fast spent. Let's do this. Yeah. So then verse 12, then the man said, the woman you, whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. I'm glad he said he ate. But he said, the woman you gave to me, not taking responsibility. So men, husband, when you start pushing blame to your wife, it is, a, it is, a, it is an evidence that you are working in the, in the byproducts, one of the byproducts of spiritual death. Because you are supposed to own up. Hey, my wife, this is, my wife, you to you, I'm, I'm trying to be very, very nice. It's the first Sunday of the year, right? Amen. I, I wish I could say the way I said, I, 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 I should say it. No. We don't push blame. We own up. We take responsibility for our actions. Amen. Verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. I'm glad she said she ate. Amen. And so what I'm trying to say is this. Blame shifting is one of the attributes of the following nature. Amen. Let's see more. Let's look at more very quickly. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. Now, and in the process of, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. Anger came as a result of spiritual death. The Bible says anger, human anger, does not produce the kind of righteousness that God desires. Desires. But he did not respect the king of offering, verse 5 again, and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So if you are being angry unnecessarily or angry at people, just know that you are walking in, it's a form of a spiritual death. Verse 6, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. 
God is even saying here that even the people who are not who are not born again, the fallen nature, can still can still restrain themselves from giving themselves to sin. Amen. But all of this thing, you know. Okay, so let's carry on. Uh, where did I stop? Verse seven. Uh, uh, let me read quickly. Uh, verse eight. So now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that. Uh, came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Murder came as a result of the fallen nature of man. Now, all of these attitudes I, I called out, would you agree with me that they are a function of the soul, the expression of the soul, anger, hatred, resentment, blame shifting, condemnation, shame, all these things are condition of the soul which came as a result of the falling nature of man, the falling spirit, the separated spirit of man from God. When man received the sinful nature, the nature of sin, he was able to differentiate between good, uh, good and evil. Evil was not, the, was not the business of man. Man was only meant just to walk in the, in, in the nature of God. You see what I'm talking about? Be very careful. When people talk to you about when they focus your attention so much on the sin, 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 sin. I've told you one thing that is tested, tried, and works. Focus on righteousness. Focus on becoming who God created you to be and you, you will realize that sin does not have much hold on you. Amen. If you have some time, you can read um, the likes of Romans chapter 5, verse 15 to 17, which talks about condemnation coming to the world as a result of the fall of man. And 1 John 3 tells us about uh, anyone who hates his brother does not have the life of God in them. So hatred is part of what came as a result of the fallen nature of man. Hatred is a is an offshoot of the devil. See, no matter how much or how how much speaking in tongues a person do, no matter no no matter how spiritual they are, if hatred is in their heart, I want to avoid them because hatred usually breeds leads to murder. I mean, murder and all kind of wicked things that people do. So when I know or I spot that they that a believer kind of hates me or they resent me, I avoid them because the devil can use them against me. Amen. So that's tips for people: your mother-in-law, your stepmother, and all those people that shows you to your face that they hate you. You keep buying gifts. Ah, bless you, ma. How are you, ma? They made it very clear to you that they hate you. Instead of you to run, love them from afar. You still go there, you sleep until they pour poison in your drink. Praise the Lord. Until out of anger, they pour hot water on your child. And I'm talking about real life situations here. But that happens to believers. I know my church family members will not go to places they are not supposed to go. Because there's some, my, <laughs> there are prayer and fasting that I don't, unnecessary, unnecessary prayer and fasting, if I can avoid it, let me avoid it. That's why I will tell everyone, if the Lord says, don't do this, don't do it. Don't put the whole church into this array that we start fasting and praying. Amen. We've been doing 21 days um, early morning prayers now. After that, I can't wait to go back to my normal routine, but whichever way, God is helping me. Amen. Because I go to bed around that kind of 1 a.m. 2 a.m. sometimes and I have to be home by 5 o'clock or 4.45 or 4.30 uh, to lead prayer. Then I go read my Bible and start my day. So I've not slept more than maybe two and a half hours or three hours today. Praise God. 
and I'm not going back to sleep. Then one person will then go and put their nose where they're not supposed to put their nose. So when I'm supposed to be, you know, strategizing and thinking and praying on how the church can grow kind of things, and then we now start fasting and praying for one person. Why? If you go to where you're not supposed to go, just don't tell me and just hold it. But you know, God will show me. Some prayer and fasting are not necessary. If people don't like you and they say, you are not wanted here, we don't like you, don't go there. Don't go there. And they are my sister, they are my brother. I, I remember when we were playing as a kid. But they've been compromised, corrupted. Is it until they arrange armed robbers to come and kill you? That's when you know what's up. Do you know that it's a person who is alive that can, can have brother and sister? I don't know why I'm saying this this morning. I guess God is speaking to people. There's so much hate in families and homes among brethren and families. And people stay there. And they say, you know, you know they are in-laws. You know they are sisters. You can't do anything about it until they kill you. Are we all right? Praise the Lord. Because as far as, as, far as I'm concerned, Ephesians 2.10 did not say, I am God's workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus to make my in-laws to like me or to be in harmony with my in-laws. If the Bible says that as much as it lies with me, if I can live with, at peace with people, I should live at peace with them. But if, they, those people, if the people don't want to be at peace with me, should I, should I kill myself? You are recreated in Christ Jesus unto good works. Your life has, has a kind of eternal purpose which starts right here on earth. So every relationship that doesn't help your life, that is destroying you, cut off from them if you can. Or love them from afar. Let's stop sentiment. It's a waste of life trying to make somebody to like you who make it clear to you that they hate you. Then you start hearing some stupid things. People say, you know, and pray for them. You don't know. Are we all right? Are we, are we all right? We are wasting God's resources. God's divine resources on us. On sentiment. And you know, you know, the people say, the people say, sometimes people say things like, you know, uh, I, I can remember I was with uh, someone, I don't want to mention it so I can cover their, um, you know, they were saying, you know, when I went home for my sister's um, wedding long, long, many years ago, the man was very angry at me. He said, you know, pay attention to me. I said, you must pray for your father. The man said he hates me. He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. I've called the man several times. The man said he doesn't want to see me. He said I'm a bastard. He said all kind of stuff. Then I should keep, I, before I got married, I, I, I was, we're calling, we're calling, we're calling, we're calling. The man, the man said he does not want me in his life anymore. And people expect to be depressed. Because my father said he doesn't want me. Are we, are we all right? Is our head correct? Do you know how many men today are dysfunctional because they meditate on the rejection of their parents? They are dysfunctional in their home, in their marriage. Do you know how many people are seen now today because they are looking for their father? Far be it from me. God forbid. I know the value and what God carries on the inside of me. If my father comes back and reconcile, yeah, we will reconcile. But in the meantime, if he comes or not, does that mean I should waste my life and waste the life of the people who are watching, who are listening to me, and people whose life have been touched through me? And I think this, I think God is speaking to someone whose whose life whose life is going down because their father rejected them and they think their life is over. Are we all right? To be continued. I was going to do verse 1 and verse 2, but I got to stop here. The people have been up since 5 a.m. when we're praying today. Uh, I got to leave them to... Oh, how many, how many minutes have I done? What's it, what's it Where's my timekeeper? Where's the screen here? 
Oh, for the three minutes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'll stop here then. So you guys can go um, have your breakfast or your lunch and uh, report to the station, to report to base at um, what time tomorrow? Five o'clock. God bless you. Let's bow our heads for prayers.